Hello and welcome to this, the 18th episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And as ever, we are bringing you this podcast absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we'll never ever charge for these interviews, but we are, as ever, looking for you to put your money back into Irish theatre. What's the easiest way to go and do that? Go and buy yourself some tickets. It's very straightforward. It's very simple. It keeps the whole machine ticking over. Make this week a week where you go, nah, won't go to the pub this Saturday. I'll go straight to the uh, theatre first. You know what? You can even have a point there at the interval and after the show. It'll be fine. Get your arse in a seat. It's a beautiful thing. If this week things are a little tight and you can't quite afford some theatre tickets, maybe head on over to one of the crowdsourcing websites like fundit.ie and check out some of the campaigns the theatre companies are running over there. I see that Ramblin' Man are still running their campaign over on Fundit for their production of True West, which is coming up very soon, and that's one that's uh, definitely worth checking out and supporting. There are other ways, of course, you can support without having to put your hand in your pocket. Maybe tell people about this podcast, whether that's in person over a cup of coffee, or by sharing the link on Facebook, or by retweeting the link that we put out on Twitter. Go on over and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, or you can check it out on Fight Night, particularly if you're out and about and you want to stream it rather than download. Fightnight.ie is optimised for mobile devices and you can also check us out on radiomade.ie you can go back and listen to all our other episodes you can leave us a review, please do on iTunes or you can simply rate us, their five star rating, that's a one click deal, please give us five stars if you can but it really helps us in our chart position which helps us get the word out about all the other shows that are on around town uh, so it really just helps us get up there and get prominent and, and help spread the word you can follow us on Facebook uh, Rise Productions are at facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland, or you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Rise Ireland. So it has been a very busy week here at Rise Towers. We are absolutely up to our eyes with applications and planning and all that kind of stuff. The fringe deadline is coming up. The Culture Ireland deadline is coming up. Arts Council deadlines are all fast approaching. And so it's been a busy, busy week. We're just trying to get all those plans for the rest of this year, some of which are fairly ambitious coordinated together planned and submitted all in time but you know you don't want to hear about boring admin stories from us you want to hear about this week's guest and i gotta tell you it's an exciting one ladies and gentlemen and not just because of the technological advances we are making on the podcast this week because in the best tradition of hollywood award shows our guest this week is appearing live via satellite from london town it is the phenomenal rory keenan who is genuinely one of the best of his generation I mean, he's a guy who has been playing proper leading roles from a ridiculously young age. The first time we worked together was on the Second Age production of Hamlet quite a few years ago. And it was one of those shows where you're walking together every day and you're not looking at the guy who's playing the big lead role of Hamlet going, God damn it, I should be doing that. I'd be better than him at that. I wouldn't do it that way. I'd do it this. Every day in rehearsals and every day on stage, you're standing back going... Wow, this guy's really properly awesome, and uh, he absolutely deserves to be here. And he's you know he's one of those guys that you know really you should hate because he's good looking and he's funny and he can sing and he can act and he can play the guitar, but you don't hate him at all. You love him to bits because he is an absolute superstar. Really, really great guy to be around. I absolutely adore the guy. I think he's a super, super performer and a really, really good guy. I mean, he's based over in London now, and things are really happening for him both on stage and particularly on screen with movies like The Guard, which of course you'll hear us chat about a bit later on in the interview. Look, let's get straight into this. Here is the brilliant Rory Keenan. The wonderful Rory Keenan, all the way live and direct via satellite from London town. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure, Ango. How's it going? 
I'm doing great. I'm so delighted to be able to talk to you. I feel very technologically advanced that we're able to do this across the Irish Sea. Likewise, and I get to do an interview naked. Which is, I know, always been a, a huge ambition of yeah, yours. It's, okay, uh, well, let's return to Naked Stories later on, because I know you've been on, on, on tour with Tyg Murphy a couple of times, so we'll definitely be touching on that at some point throughout. But for the moment, as we do every week, let's get back to the very beginning. Because in my head, you started working ridiculously young, didn't you? I started really young. I was, um, <clears throat> I suppose, the first kind of professional show, if you like, was uh, in the Olympia with, uh, with The Sound of Music. I was about... Um, maybe ten or eleven or something, yeah. Um, and that was, I suppose, that's how it started. I, I, it was an open audition. My two sisters, who are also actors, uh, Sinead and Grania, they, they were driven over to this open audition because a friend of theirs was was going in for it, and they said, "Do you want to go in and, and do this open audition for one of the the Von Trapp kids?" And I think I was waiting in the car, and it was easier if if Mum brought me in as well. To I think it was the old Diggs Lane is where it was. All right. And uh, so I, I said, and mum was like, yeah, here, do you want to, do you want to just go in and, and give it a shot? So I was kind of bored and I went in and I ended up getting it. And, and uh, I subsequently did about two or, or three other shows with, with that director, with, that was Michael Scott. All oh, right, of course. Yeah. Who, who yeah. gave me my start as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he gave a lot of us, uh, because I mean, he, he, obviously he did a lot of musicals and stuff and, and there was a panto, so he'd be casting a lot of kids. Um, so, uh, so yeah, and we went on, that was, uh, that was... 1990, 91 maybe, and then we did like The Wizard of Oz, and we did Carousel with Cyril Cusack, and so it kind of snowballed, but I, I previous to that, I had done a bit of radio as well. Um, right, okay. So, like, I, I think I remember being pulled out of school when I was a kid, and um, and uh, someone in RT wanted a a, a a child voice or something for something or other, so uh, I think I was the one who was being mischievous at the back of the class and taking, taking the piss out of teachers and stuff, so... Um, I was he, and uh, and that's pretty much where it started, I think. And and you hadn't been doing some kind of young gaiety school or Betty Ann Norton or no, one of those. Well, kind of... we did actually, yeah. We, uh, that's right. We I was in the Knockline Community Centre. There was a, a like a little drama um, outfit uh, called the Coffee School of Drama with Eva and Catherine Coffee, right. who I believe are still going. And um, we were. Um, I started that, and then my sisters followed suit. So yeah, we were doing that every week. Uh, speech and drama stuff which was great you know um it was we did the feshes and we did uh, our, our 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 exams in speech and drama which are horrible but uh, <laughs> but i think it it, it paid dividends and ultimately so then talk to me so this that's actually in kind of your early teens at that stage yeah so then as you get a little older uh at what point did you decide right i'm going to make a go of this career-wise I don't think I ever did, to be honest. I, I don't think I ever made a, a conscious decision to do that. Like I, I was. It was just some that it was just seemed to be my extracurricular activity. Right. Okay. Because even when during school, um, I was doing. I started in the Abbey when I was maybe fourteen. Wow. I did. Uh, I uh, the first one was six characters in search of an author, and that was the year I was doing my my junior cert, and I literally remember. I went to school on Leeson Street, so I'd, I'd go in uh, to school first thing in the morning um, and go straight, walk straight down to the Abbey, try and do homework or study, maybe snooze for an hour, have a sandwich, and then go on stage and then do the whole thing the next day, right up to the Monday of the, uh, the first exam. So we closed on the Saturday. That's phenomenal. And, uh, and then we started uh, the junior cert on the Monday. 
Um, I don't know if it made much of a difference. I wasn't. I, I was never the most academic of students anyway. Right. But but yeah, it was. It, it so it, it just seemed to be something that I always did outside. I mean, I did sport and all the rest as well. But but it always just seemed to be that thing that I did. So you know, when it got to it, when I when I kind of started growing up, um, I don't think I ever sat down and went, "What do I want to do with my life?" It was just something that was always there and. And I already had a sense of kind of continuity with, so so I kind of carried on, really. So then talk to me about going to Trinity. What was the plan there? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I it was funny because when I, you know, went to fill out the CAO form, I, I mean, I, as I said before, I uh, wasn't very academic, you know. It was all right. It was just lazy. And, um, and the points for, for the course that I did do, which was drama theatre studies, uh, were, were astronomical. Yeah, they were crazy. I was time. never going to get whatever, 600, 500, whatever it is, um, in the leaving cert. So, but I still put it on because you do that, don't you? You put your, ultimately what you'd like to do top and then et cetera, et cetera. So I didn't get the points, but I did get enough for, um, uh, I think, history and something or other in, 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 in uh, UCD, which was fine. Um, now, in the in between then and the and the leaving cert, obviously you have to go through a series of interviews to get into. I wanted to do pure drama. Uh, in, yes, you know, there's only twelve people in the class or whatever, so you have to send in an essay and you have to do interviews and stuff like that. And, you know. Um, anyway, did the leaving cert? Didn't get enough points for drama. Fine, uh, and uh, was expecting an offer from UCD. As you do, you get your letter from from whatever third level institution, and and you you accept it or or or. Um, you take the next one on the list or whatever. So I was expecting one from UCD, uh, uh, but one came from Trinity. And I remember my mom on the phone, I said, she said, you, you're, you've got into Trinity. And I said, well, that's clearly a mistake. I didn't get enough points. <laughs> and, and I said to her, hang on a second, read that letter to me again that was sent four months ago. It's under my bed. And the letter, <laughs> it turned out that the letter was, it was an unconditional offer from Trinity. So really? the whole headache of the, of the leaving cert was was uh, was unnecessary because all I needed was to pass the bare minimum requirements and I would have got into Trinity. And is this because your um, application and essays and interviews and stuff had been just so ridiculously awesome that they said we must have this kid no matter what? I think I think it's because I'd already had quite a bit of experience in theatre and stuff, and 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 I could waffle with the best of them. So, so yeah, so they, they it was an unconditional offer. They hand out one or two every year, and uh, we just didn't read the letter at the time. That is amazing. The letter said what we thought it said, should you get enough points, da 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 But uh, it turned out to be uh, all you need is such and such points and you're in. Um, so that's pretty much what I did. And I was glad uh, it was a, an academic course because I don't think I ever really entertained the notion of, of, of studying acting formally. Well, that's, I mean, that was interesting because obviously you were at Trinity at the time that I was at Trinity. And so there was that big, you know, kind of renowned acting course there that was a more practical thing. And so what was it that swung it to go down the more academic route than the more kind of vocational practical route? Um, I think if I had gone, if I, de- if I had decided to study acting formally, I think that would have been a very conscious decision to do that in my uh, career in the future. And I don't think I ever sat myself down and thought about that. I thought about doing that in reality, you know, being an actor. Because um, I, 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 I had a very uneasy relationship with that term. Okay. Uh, being an actor. Um, I, I don't know why. And sometimes I still do. Um, 
And uh, so I kind of wanted to study something that was there or thereabouts, but also maybe gave me, uh, you know, it came at it from a, from a different angle, from an oblique kind of angle, on the off chance that in the future I might go down that route, that I have some sort of schooling in a different area which yes. might benefit the other, you know. Um, wow. Which I think is why I, I, I chose to do that. That's really interesting. And, I mean, it's just I mean, it's strange because from a guy who's gone on to be so successful and work so consistently and be kind of one of the best of of our generation, if you don't mind me saying it to you. Get out of town. Interesting <laughs> that, um, that that was there to begin with. Right. So tell me this. At what stage then, because you, you were still working through your time in Trinity, and at what stage then did the legendary show that it still breaks my heart that I was never part of on home ground for RTE come around. Oh, on home ground. Yeah, well, it's funny, actually. That proved to be my downfall in Trinity because um, <laughs> uh, I was only thinking about this the other day. I'd, I'd forgotten about it. Basically, this show, yeah, so this show was, you know, the, whoever. It was pretty popular, I think, at the time. Me and my now wife, then girlfriend, watched it religiously every Sunday because it was combining Irish drama and the gah, the two greatest things in the history of the world as far as we were concerned. Well, it's it's bizarre that it did because as a concept, it's how can it fail in in Ireland, you know, but somehow it didn't really do the business at the end of the day. But anyway, yeah, I was cast in this thing um, and I loved sport as well and football and, and, and I got to be an actor. I got to faff about on the telly and play football and stuff so it was great and that, that I think that was in my second year of of Trinity or something like that I can't remember now I didn't tell anyone uh any of the Politburo in Trinity anyone any of my lecturers or, or uh, that I was involved in this because I wasn't allowed I if I wanted their their view was if I wanted to be an actor I better go and bloody well do the acting course you know right um and if you if 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 you want to act there's players upstairs. There's a, there's a theater upstairs. But, you know, as a professional, no, that you should be doing this other thing. So I never open my mouth until... Roar, I have to run an idea by you. Yeah. If yeah. you're going to try and do something behind the back of your lecturers and tutors and whatever else, do you think doing that on national television was the way to go? Well, you see, this is the thing. You never imagine that um, guys who are experts in Beckett and... Um, Stanislavski and all sorts of other nonsense would sit down uh, on a Sunday evening and watch RTE. You just did those two worlds in my head never made sense together. So I thought, oh, I'm safe. I'm safe as houses with this. And how I was caught, how they find out, found out was Dr. Matthew Causey, who's an American. Yes, of course. Happened to go and buy a telly in Power City one Saturday afternoon. And he didn't see me on one screen, but a hundred screens, one of the <laughs> repeats of the show and went, yeah. What the hell's Keenan doing on the television? <laughs> so on the Monday morning, he called me out in the in the lecture. Uh, he said, "Yeah, remember that time you were sick? Those uh, few weeks in a row." And uh, I said, "Yeah," uh, and I was nailed. I was done. So, um, so yeah, that that was uh, that's a very kind of convoluted way of telling you about on home ground. But uh, what were the repercussions then in terms of Trinity? Was it a slap on the wrist or was it more severe? Yeah, well, I mean, I remember sitting down with, with um, some of the lecturers and, and saying, because, I mean, I needed time off, you know, I needed, I was doing shows as well and eventually the secret was out and I, and I kind of, I um, I went and, and, and uh, to go in and request time off for rehearsals for this, that and the other or if I was going to do a bit on a film or something like that. 
and they weren't too happy because it just meant that I constantly had to delay handing in essays and and um and, and stuff like that so but I got away with it you know um and I did all right in in my exams at the end and, and I you know got a good degree but um it was difficult balancing the two for a while um but um but I I, I but I haven't said that I also I I didn't kind of extricate myself from from the uh, other activities that Trinity would have to offer. Like I was for a time, I was the technical manager in the in the in the Samuel Beckett Theatre. Wow! Um, for the for the fourth year shows and stuff. So I was, and I loved all that stuff. I loved rigging lights, and I loved making building sets, and I loved all that. Uh, the, you know, getting your hands dirty and doing sound design and stuff like that. So uh, so I did uh, I did benefit I think as well from from the other aspects, but. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, the, in terms of the academia, uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's all just regurgitation, isn't it? And at the time that you were there, there were a lot of people who've gone on to be kind of relatively exciting in their chosen fields. I mean, who would have been knocking around at the time you were there? Ooh, oh, God. Uh, let me see. Who was in? Wayne Jordan was a year ahead of me. Um, who, who else was around? Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny. I remember doing a show and players that I wrote and directed and I had Rebecca uh, Daly uh, Rebecca Daly who she was there now I did uh, I did wrote and directed this show in in in, in players um it was called Nana it should have been called uh, one hour of absolute nonsense um <laughs> and uh, Rebecca Daly and and Michael Fitzgerald were in it and Rebecca has now since gone on to be a, a can winning film director and and I was I was only emailed her quite recently and it was bizarre. Uh, just like the last time I saw you, I had you doing all sorts of rubbish in this thing, and and she was saying, "Yeah, the last time I saw you," and we went two completely different ways. So that was weird. There was people like that who kind of who went, yeah, did go on to do really good things, and that's Rebecca. She she her movie is the other side of sleep. The yes, indeed. With you at the moment. Um, and who else was there? I mean, uh, God, I mean, there was guys. I mean, a lot of our contemporaries that you know would. Um, who was there? Uh, so it was Michael Fitzgerald. There was um, there was Alan really, Leach. Would have, Alan, Alan Leach was there. Right. He was in my class. Yeah, that's right. He's over here as well. And um, there was guys uh, like um, Jesus. I obviously didn't turn up in many lectures. But I don't <laughs> remember who it was. Uh, but there were there, there was a real motley crew of people who went off to in, and 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 explored different avenues in theatre after afterwards. It was great actually that we all didn't fall into the same. Um, area you know so talk to me then about the transition from having to juggle that college career at the same time to being able to then having finished up give acting 100 i mean even at that stage in your head had you gone right look this is what i am i am now a professional actor let's I, go I, at it absolutely not no i i still hadn't i mean i for years i had flirted with joining the army um really before yeah i'd signed up i had the papers for two years in a row to, to fly air to to sign up to the air corps and I was thinking of doing that, and I never went through it. And and uh, and there was other stuff I was kind of vaguely interested in. Um, uh, so again, I never, I never kind of went right. This is what I'm doing now. Um, and but after I did, I was did this film. Um, it was a pretty big film at the time when it came over. Rain of Fire it was a huge budget film, and I got a small part in that. And I was doing that, I think, right up to the. The morning, I had a night shoot right before my final exams. Wow. So I'd finish at six and then I'd 
go home for sleep for an hour, go in and do the exams. So there was that kind of sense of continuity that kind of that that made me not question what I was doing. Do you know what I mean? It, there was never a break in um, the life in Trinity and the life outside of Trinity. There was always something sewing it together, which was me doing acting. And then I, I, when I finished ultimately in Trinity, I think I think the first show I did was I could be wrong now was the Drunkard with um, Lim Parker. Um, Tom Murphy's The Drunkard. Right, okay. And, and, and I was the uh, the title role. It was probably my first kind of leading character in, in theatre. But again, you would have still been quite young at that stage. I was, yeah, I would have been uh, uh, tw- early 20s, 21, 22, something like that. Because it seems to me that uh, again, I mean, obviously you've been working away consistently and and doing good stuff, and like you say, you know, bigger things like Rain of Fire, which would have been you know big high profile stuff. But it seems to me, even at, even by that standard, you were getting big leading roles where you were carrying the show on your shoulders from a, a very early age. I mean, even obviously we first worked together on Hamlet, That's right, yeah. uh, and you were playing Hamlet. It must have been about twenty three, twenty four as well. Oh yeah, probably was right. Yeah, twenty three, twenty four. Um. Yeah, which was great and, and, you know, totally, completely lucky to be able to do that at that age. Probably too young in retrospect, you know, to take on that kind of stuff. But Did you feel it, did you feel at the time out of your depth or was there that exuberance and enthusiasm of you to go, yeah, sure, I'll do that, why not? Yeah, there was a bit of that. There was a bit of bold face, like, yeah, whatever, loads of lines, give, give me them. Um, uh, yeah, probably. But, in you know, when I think back now, I kind of go... Um, but I don't know. And at the same token, you don't set out to do a, 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 a to play a role in order to get it one hundred percent right and in order to be definitive. I mean, you know, you can always have a second bite of the cherry. You can always revisit it. Yeah. Not you know, when you look back, it doesn't always have to be. Yes, that was um, a defining moment and that was a defining role I played. So, so maybe I'm wrong to think that. Maybe, maybe yeah, it, that's just the way it was. And I was very lucky to do it, so I shouldn't really worry about how good or bad it was. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I was getting a lot of uh, roles pretty, pretty young pretty young on and I kind of by the time I was 30 I'd, I'd played Macbeth and Hamlet you know, I was <laughs> still in my 20s and I was going well I might as well bloody retire now I don't need to do anything else um, so yeah there was there was a lot of that but I, that again I was just very lucky uh, and a lot of people handed me uh, opportunities that I was really grateful for um, and uh, and still am you know well speaking about the drunkard then as kind of your first show out of college, I know I think that might have been Rory Nolan's first as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right. But that was that. Was, so presumably that was your first contact. Was that was that your first contact with Lynn Parker then? Even though it wasn't, even though it was bespoke rather than rough magic. Yes, it was. It, that was bespoke. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd known I'd known Alison McKenna and Jane Brennan previously. I'd worked with both, I think, before then, uh, who who run uh, bespoke. And um, and yes, that was my first. Uh, Involved the first involvement I had with with Lynn Parker, um, and and it was great because I I had been a huge Tom Murphy fan as well, so it was you know two birds of one stone it was fantastic, and then yeah Rory Nolan was there and uh, he I think he had just finished uh, the Gaiety like the the previous Friday or something like that, and there were two Rorys in one room, um, which was shocking. Well, as you know, this has given rise to me referring to you both as Rory Hayman, Rory Feldman. Yes, yes. Um, and you still haven't told 
just who's who, who who's, who's the drugged out washed washed up one. <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment, Roar. We know we know who the chubby red one is, but who? <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna kill me. Um, no, I mean, yeah, and then myself and Roar have gone on. We've done another few show, shows together and stuff, which has always been great crack working with him. Well, what's that relationship with Lynn like? Because you've gone on to work with her a huge amount of times since. Yeah, um, it's been great. Um, we did we did a number of shows. We did, like, yeah, Don Carlos and Shrew and um, Ernest and other things, and a lot of development stuff as well. Um, so uh, it's been great, yeah. I mean, Lynn is just someone who's on the floor in the rehearsal room is is, is fantastic. She's she's uh, she's one of the best to work with, um, without a shadow of a doubt. And um, you develop a kind of a shorthand with her as well if you've worked with her a few, you know, a number of times where <laughs> a look will, will say it all. So you know where you're, where you're going wrong or you know where you need to uh, up your game. Um, so yeah, so it's uh, it's been a good relationship in that sense. What was that experience of uh, Importance of Being Earnest like bringing in the big Hollywood name and taking it to you know the the big stage? I mean, because obviously Rough Magic would traditionally do a lot of their stuff in project, but to go up into one of those big kind of you know whatever thousand seaters, thirteen hundred seaters, whatever. What was that whole experience like? Oh, it was great. I mean, the 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 the, the Gaiety was the perfect home for for it for Oscar Wilde, you know, um, and uh, it, it was terrific to play. It was when I mean, we packed it out, you know, it was played to packed houses, and 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 rightly so. A play like that is. It's an exquisite play, you know, and uh, and a, and a, a chance to play it in that in that space was was, was terrific. Um, so and we had a ball. It was fantastic. It was really really great. And Stockard was lovely, uh, who played Bracknell. Uh, she was very nice, and um, yeah, it was it was terrific. Okay, so talk to me then about the decision to leave Dublin as a base. And moved to London as a base. When did when did that switch go in your head? Um, again, that was a gradual thing. I'd I'd kind of gone over to London a few times to do bits and bobs, and then come back. I'd been over on the West End before, and I'd done little bits in the Donmar, and I kind of I kind of flirted with staying over there for a good while, and then didn't. And then um, it was um, maybe a year and a half ago now. I went over to do to do a show on the lyric with. Um, Max Stafford Clark, and uh, and that kind of toured for a bit as well over here, and after that I I got a string of shows and and and, and TV stuff after that, uh, and and have stayed here ever since really. So I don't think it was again. It wasn't a decision where I'm packing my bags. I'm going off to London. Uh, that's just the way it has panned out, you know. Well, because it's a strange thing. Because it seems to me that for an unfortunately large amount of people who kind of decide to go and make the move over uh, that it can be really tough and you end up waiting tables and pulling pints rather than actually working and to a large extent you're kind of starting from scratch again despite maybe having built up quite a body of work here but it seems that for you it has kicked in uh, at a pretty high level pretty quickly it, it was great actually yeah um, I, I can't complain it, it's pretty much a string of work for the last year and a half and really good stuff as well um, and I know I know that's that's rare uh, because the Guys, I know friends who live over here who are just you know exceptional actors who who unfortunately haven't had the same struggle of luck that I have. And it's terrible. It's really it, this town is. It can it's it can be really debilitating um, when you're not practicing what you should be practicing um, on the stage or in front of a, a camera, 
Um, so it's been fantastic. It's I've been really lucky, and I've already kind of struck up a relationship with a few directors over here who I'm beginning to work with again, type thing, um, uh, which is great. It's you know it's akin to what you might find at home. And as a rule, are you playing uh, British characters or are you playing Irish? I've uh, what have I done? Have I done? I've done American. I've done yeah. I've done Irish. A few Irish, uh, which is fine. I mean, I, I you know. I I do I am conscious of that I'm where I'm wary of that but also you can't keep turning down stuff you know when your agent calls you can't oh I don't I'm playing the Irish I am Irish that's what yeah. I am and there is they're they're not you know it's not like I'm uh, uh, I, the, there there are a lot of Irish people over here. It's not it's not like it's it's a really it's a truly exotic thing to be Irish in London. It's a lot of people over here would see Irish as 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 much part of the fabric as of Britain as anyone else. Right. So um so I'm happy to play those roles uh, for a time. You know um, absolutely. But I've played American as well. I've played other nationalities. Um, and it's it's yeah no it's been it's been terrific. It really has. And what is the community like over there in the way that it is so tight-knit here in Ireland, whether you're part of the scene up in Dublin or, say, down Cork or Galway or whatever, that everyone knows everyone to a large extent. It, is there that sense of community over there or is there kind of a, a specific subsection of Irish actors and Irish theatre makers over there that form their own little community? Uh, there's a wee bit of that, yeah. Um, there there would be. I mean, I, I wouldn't tend to... I, I try not to, to kind of... Um, uh, gravitate towards little pockets of 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 in groupy uh, uh, in groups in, in in London, you know, because I think that's ultimately it's probably not healthy uh, in terms of um, striking up relationships with other people outside of those groups. Um, but you you do find little pockets of uh, of um, kind of little support groups, which which is great, like you would at home, uh, either to socialize with or to work with or to share ideas with. Um, I remember when I came over, you know, as you well know, if you get a cast list for a show you're about to start on Monday, and you have a look and you go, oh yeah, oh so he's in, oh look, oh Jesus, look who it is, and oh, that's it, they're there, they're there, Grant. And I remember getting a, my first cast list over here and going, well, I obviously don't know anyone in the room, anyone at all. Uh, and I remember thinking to myself, how in the hell am I ever going to get to a point where I know some people before I walk into a room in this town, it's going to be impossible. But after a while, you do. You you go even if you might not have met them. Oh, I've heard that. Oh, yeah, that's a friend of such and such. And so it, it kind of makes it more inclusive. Um, it makes it feel more homely, like it would it would in Dublin. Um. Uh. So, but again, you know, you could use the same argument for maybe an actor in in Cork or an actor in Galway who moves to Dublin who might think that Dublin is a huge place and how are they going to get to know? But after a while, you do, you know? Yeah. So I suppose it's all a matter of rel relativity. Now, we've spoken a little bit about you doing uh, a good bit of work on screen. It seems that you it seems that you nearly split at 50-50, that you're kind of one of those relatively rare breed of actors who is equally at home on on both. What's, what is the difference in the experience like for you between being on a film set and being on a stage? Oh, it's, yeah, I mean, incredibly different. I mean, I, I always feel I'm, I'm still, lear I'm still lear learning, definitely. Well, I'm still learning on stage as well, of course, but um, it's amazing how little 
uh, I knew about film as opposed to how little I would have known going uh, doing theatre and how how much information I still pick up going onto sets and I did down to what the what jobs various people do on the set and I've oh yeah I've always wondered about that why is that filter going in that camera there and what does that do and why why in terms of continuity do we have to shoot it that way and so it'll cut that way and it's it's a huge learning arc and uh, and I still feel I haven't anywhere near cracked it you know it's um uh, it's definitely a, a continual process uh, it's 50 I don't know 50 50 it might be of the last few years um it's uh, it's been great it's it's just it, it is an entirely different process for an act, for an actor it's not as actor friendly obviously um you you don't get to engage in the same kind of development process as you would in in theatre. You don't get to engage with a director as much um, and to uh, and kind of create something together. A lot of the time, you're it's on your own merits, you know. And yeah. even then, it's at the behest of a of an editor or a producer. So I think you have to have a thick skin as well, and it is something as well that you have to nail there and then in the immediate, as opposed to. Um, in in theatre where there's always the safety net of time. So had you made a conscious decision to try and do more screen work over the last while uh, or has it just kind of fallen out that way? I did, yeah, I did. I, I, I tried to I tried to do more, more screen work and that's not to say <laughs> everyone was wanting me for screen work. Uh, not, not at all. It was it just meant m- me having to um, turn down some theatre work in the hope that there'd be there'd be uh, some some screen work there and, and and fortunately there was a few there were a few things that I was able to spend my time doing um uh which was which was terrific it was really great to to be able, like I think for I think at one stage I hadn't done a show in about two years um a few years ago and maybe I did three feature films in that time and, and some telly or something which is a good return it was a high risk strategy but it but it was great but you actually took that gamble to say I will turn down guaranteed yeah. good yeah. theatre work on the basis that it will leave me free for a potential screen gig. I think you have to. You know, sometimes your agent would tell you that, and you think, "Yeah, but come on, let's speak uh, practically here." Um, I, I, waiting around for for a for a, a film isn't going to buy a ca- uh, can of beans. You know, I need to live off something, and there is that risk, uh, and that's why it's that's one of the reasons why it's such a difficult job. But but it did work out, and I you do have to you have to decide. Okay, I'm taking a chance. And, and don't take a chance for two months. Nothing's going to come up in two months. You've got to take a chance, I think, over eight months to 10 to 12 months. You know? There, there, wow. there will, there will Stuff will happen. Uh, it, but you, yeah, if you're not available for it, you're, you're out of the race. Yeah. yeah. And, and for you, was there an element of comfort in the knowledge that you had this body of work? Like you say, you had this body of work on stage where you've been playing these big leading roles and people knew you very well in terms of the Irish theatre scene, that even if you disappeared off the scene, like you say, for six or eight or 10 or 12 months, that no one was going to forget who you were. No one was going to think suddenly he wasn't able to do it anymore, that you would have the safety net that you could always come back. Yeah, there was an element of that. Uh, There is an element of theatre will always be there, of course. Um, But, you know, another another factor as well, which I can't undermine the importance of, are, as you very well know, as voiceovers. Yeah, um, and having that support. Now I was very lucky at a very, uh, you know, uh, uh, a, very, a lot of regular voiceover gigs during that time, which meant I didn't have to choose jobs purely on the basis of money. And and that and and voiceovers are really important for the economy of an actor. Uh, 
to be able to do that, to, to essentially fund their existence as an actor. And I was able to do that at home. It was terrific. I, 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 I didn't have to take theatre jobs that paid whatever they paid per week um, just to pay the bills. I could take a chance and say, okay, I'm not doing theatre for another 10 months or so or a year. Um, but in the meantime, I do have this other job, this, these, these voiceover jobs, which, which, um, which kind of uh, sustains me. Um, and that was really important. Uh, and I'd, any advice for any young actors is get your, get your voice demo done ASAP. Get it out there. De- definitely don't. They'll be taking our work or Definitely don't record you're a right. demo. Yeah, we're don't, don't listen to me. Don't, don't, even, don't, go, don't even go near a microphone. They'll kill we're, you. We're, we're full up. This ship is full. It's fine. So, okay, come here to me then. A two-pronged question on that. Um, have you been able to transfer that voiceover work over to uh, England? And if so, what's it like over there? And secondly, have you any of those hilarious Hollywood stories of I turned down Gone with the Wind or Back to the Future, whatever, from the work that you might have turned down during that period of time? Um, well, in terms of the voiceover over here, n- not quite yet. I mean, I ha- I'm actually, I'm, I'm supposed to be doing a, de- a new demo over here. I have to kind of f- finesse my demo to kind of suit the this market over here, which is of course. different, you know. Um, so I, I have to get onto that. Um, in terms of stuff I turned down, no, I don't think I have any huge regrets. There were a few things, there were a few close calls, there were a few very close, uh, very close calls of, of of you know big enough projects that I couldn't do because I had already I was involved in shows basically. Right. So that's what I mean by taking a chance of time off. If you're not in, you can't you can't win. You know. Um. And they were one of them in particular was pretty painful, but um. But it, but it's fine. I moved on and have since forgotten about it. Really. Are you allowed to tell us what it was, or is that top uh, secret to the day you die? Uh, it was. It was something. Uh, it was something that I was I was booked on an airplane to to, to go to LA twice basically uh, to meet wow. um, uh, a, a fairly renowned, renowned director uh, and and I couldn't go because of of um, a show I was doing at the time. Yikes! But that's we will all event we'll all have those stories eventually. You know that's just that's the nature of the business. Um, sure. And I don't actually see it as the one that got away at all because in the in in the space of time that I would have spent doing that, I did some other really great work. I'm proud of. So I don't I don't really regret that to be honest. Right. There are two particular movies that we have to talk about. One because I loved it, and one because it's been enormous. I went to see Zonad twice in the pictures because it's one of the best movies I've seen in long and many's a day. Particularly not just Irish movies, but I had such a great time at watching that. You're the one. <laughs> you saw it. Uh, yeah, it was great. I, 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 I still stand by that film. I, I, I think it's uh, I, I think it's hilarious. It just didn't it didn't it didn't wash uh, in Ireland, um, surprisingly. It did really well in the States. We went to Tribeca with it in New York. It went to uh, was it Sundance or one of those other ones that it did really well there. Um, and it just didn't wash at home. And it's no one to blame for that. That it just wasn't uh, it didn't uh, taste people people's appetite. They didn't go for it. Um, did you know what movie you were making at no. the time, or 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 was did it just go? Let's go at this and see what comes out because it is, you know, stylistically, it's not the traditional Irish movie of my parents beat me and it rained all the time and I was unemployed or whatever else. It's not stylistically any kind of movie. That's the thing. It kind of there was about three or four different genres in it and. <laughs> 
I mean, we no, we didn't really know what we were shooting when we were shooting it. I mean, there was a point where I think we shot initially for six weeks and then we went away and then maybe a year later we did another three or four weeks. Wow. So, and uh, the final, the, the first cut was, I think, well over two hours long. For a comedy is is death, you know? Yeah. Um. Uh, but but we, we did kind of know, we did know the kind of, the, the general area, the general target that John and Kieran Carney wanted to hit with it. Uh, but it was great fun. There was a lot of um, arson about on the set and just being silly. Um, and uh, But I do, I, I kind of, uh, I haven't seen it in, in, in a long time, but uh, I, I do giggle at that film. I think it's pretty funny. And then the other one we absolutely have to mention is The Guard, which has got, is it officially the highest grossing Irish movie of all time or something now? Uh, it's. I think it's the highest grossing independent Irish movie. But then I think, well, <laughs> has there ever been a non-independent Irish movie? You know. Um, so yeah, it's done huge business. It's been great. And we all. I. I remember we got this. Uh, where I reading the script. Um, whenever that was a year and a half or two years ago, and going, yeah, that's a winner. And with Brendan Gleeson in that role, it's it's a definite winner. Um, it's a, a terrific script, and and the. The uh, the script that we got um, was essentially word for word the shooting script. Really? Yeah, it was unbelievable, and that that's the McDonald's for you. They just they 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 kind of self edit all the time, and they they write really lean. Um, so everything that was in there stayed in the movie, um, and it was it's yeah huge success. It's been fantastic. Uh, what was that set like to work on? Oh, it was vicious. We we shot in, I think November in Connemara, wow! In the middle of nowhere with uh, you know sideways rain. It was that type that type of deal. But um, and you had Don Cheadle there. You know this. <laughs> he, 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 I don't think he'd ever been to Ireland before, and he was uh, he didn't know what was going on with the rain and the with just with the weather with the conditions and. I remember sit standing outside one night and going, um, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is working outdoors in Ireland, you know, welcome. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, it was, a, but it was, no, it was a terrific uh, shoot. And hopefully we're doing another one in November or October. Really? Like a follow-up? Not so much a follow-up, but kind of, well, a companion film, I'm not sure. No, it's a different film completely, but it's the same team. Brendan is, is doing it as well, Brendan Gleeson. And uh, a few others. Um, uh, so that'll be in October at home. So it'll be nice to get home for a while to do that. Excellent stuff. So um, talk to me then about kind of current plans and, and what's up ahead. I mean, the BBC TV thing at the moment is going well. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, Birdsong. That was a two-part um, uh, um, adaptation of the novel. Two 90 minutes um, that we shot in Budapest uh, last summer for six or seven weeks or so. It was terrific. It was great experience. It, it was tough. Like it was really tough. We were you're talking forty degree heat in in the First World War. Uh, wolves in the trenches. Wow. You know it was it was really tough. But we had a ball and we were really well looked after. And that was a great experience as well because, I mean, you're talking this was a this was a TV project, but it it was really a you know a, a movie. It was the sets were out of this world. Absolutely fantastic. They built um, a a kind of first world war terrain um, a few miles outside budapest and they built a whole tr- uh, 
tunnel system, a trench system, bombed out cathedrals, the whole lot. So uh, it was no expense spared. And that did very well, I believe. Um, it's now finished. It was just two 90-minute uh, sure. episodes. And then later on, I'm, I'm, I'm back in the National Theatre uh, later on in the year. Uh, in the Olivier doing a show which would be nice and uh, and then that film and um, hopefully something else before then but we're, we'll, we'll see about that Excellent, so busy times ahead Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it should be a busy enough year uh, please God um, but I, I, I am looking forward to getting home um, and being able to do something there as well Are there any Naked Tiger Murphy stories you want to share with us before we wrap it up? Oh, Naked Tiger well uh, it, <laughs> Are there any clothed Tyg Murphy v stories you mean? I mean? This is probably a more pertinent question, that's true. I know, I do remember one night after the, was it The Taming of the Shrew or Don Carlo? I, God, I can't remember what it was. We had a party in the top row of magic uh, in, uh, on Georgia Street. <laughs> and it was me and Rory, maybe Pete Daly, uh, Lynn was there, a few others. And this was late on in the night, maybe Owen Rowe as well. And... Um, <laughs> We, uh, the night was winding down. People were kind of drip, drip, drifting off uh, to get their cabs and stuff. And Ty went. And I mean, he was gone for a good half an hour. He was out of the... You know, you know that room in the top of Rough Magic? I do. Way at the top of the building. You go up five, six flights of stairs. He was gone. He was in a taxi. We were there. And then the door creaked open to that room to reveal Ty Murphy with his bits uh in a rather attractive v tucked under his ties um in the pose like your man with the lotion in the basket <laughs> from uh, uh what you call it um silence of the lambs completely bollock naked just for the hell of it so he waited for half an hour somewhere downstairs in that building at about three in the morning just to do that to us uh, and then off he went that is dedication to the cause. You've got to hand it to the man. He is committed. He's insane, is what he is. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Rory, I'm delighted to hear that things are going so well for you over there. I'm also delighted to hear you be back on our shores soon enough doing a little bit of work. Um, and I just hope I get to see you for a little point when you're back. Yeah, big time. I'd love that. And thanks a million. And this, is, uh, this enterprise you got going is really excellent and you should be commended. It's really excellent. Well done. Well, thank you very much indeed. And an honour and a privilege to have you on here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is the wonderful Rory Keenan. Thank you very much, Rory. Thanks, man. Cheers. There you have it, the awesome Rory Keenan, a guy who, as you know, I'm hugely fond of, a super, super performer, really talented actor, and a guy who I'm very excited to say is uh, is really looking like things are about to even take off to another level for him over the next little while. I am delighted for the guy. I wish nothing but the best from him. He deserves every single bit of it, because apart from being one of the best in the business, uh, he's also one of the nicest, and I, I just hope he keeps going from strength to strength. Look, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of what is going on around town, and uh, this week there is an awful lot of very exciting stuff on love matters the new gary mitchell play is on a project what a crazy crazy project this is anyone who knows anything about gary mitchell and his background that is not a guy you would expect to be writing a play that's appearing in the irish language in the republic this is a new play from him in collaboration with ashling gare theater company who i've worked with before up in the cultural and in the falls and uh you know, to have a guy from Gary Mitchell's side of the tracks having a play in the Irish language, in the culture and on the falls, and now touring down to the Republic is 
bonkers if you think back 15 or 20 years uh, but it's you know a really exciting project um, that'll be on at the Project Arts Centre it is in the Irish language but they do have live translation simultaneously through a headset every night so don't be put off by the language barrier if that's something that's scaring you a little bit um, also around town this week at the Viking Theatre at the Shed Satanta Murphy Garrett Kyo's play is back in there by huge popular demand and that'll be followed by The Weir by Conor McPherson lots of really really solid writing going on over there at that theatre I still haven't had a chance to check it out which is a sin before holy god because it's on the north side should about their support and myself but just things have been ridiculously busy over the last while I'm dying to go over there and check it out because uh, the programme of stuff they have on there seems to have been just absolutely top notch um, at the Gate Theatre Da is ongoing the great Hugh Leonard play and Bookworms is still playing at the Abbey Theatre uh, if you get a chance tonight at Axis Ballymun uh, Fluxus Dance Company uh, their new show Wait is playing there for a couple of nights I think tonight is your last chance to go and get it from the brilliant Cathy O'Kennedy if you get a chance at all to get and see that that is definitely worth checking out for a little bit of dance for this evening um, Grenades by Tara McKevitt is on at Bewley's Cafe Theatre in that lunchtime slot the new theatre have that world premiere of Treading Water ongoing at the moment and Rough Magic are back to the gaiety with one of my favourite shows probably of the last 10 years Improbable Frequency with uh, the brilliant Rory Nolan from earlier on in this podcast series that is just one of the most exceptional nights out in the theatre you can get. If you get a chance at all, please do pop along and see that. I promise you will not be disappointed. Proper Irish musical theatre, just done at the absolutely top level. It is super smart, super enjoyable. Get in and see it. Um, as we move around the country to Galway, Second Ages production of the Scottish play is still at the Town Hall and will be, I think, travelling around the country after that. Keep an eye out for where that's going to be. Best place to get information on that is either on, uh, I guess, Second Ages' Facebook page or on their website itself. Up in Belfast, your very last few chances to catch Uncle Vanya, the Brian Friel version of that. And as we all know on this podcast, Brian Friel is the greatest writer of all time. Um, I had the great privilege and honour of going up to see that show on Tuesday evening up at the Lyric which was my first time up in the new venue and they have done an exceptional job on that theatre, it has to be seen to be believed um, panoramic views out over the river, just a beautiful building, a happy experience ease of access, everything where you'd want it to be, I can't speak highly enough about that venue, in fact I think so highly of it that it's nearly rivaling the GB Shaw and Carlo for best venue in the country it's, uh, it's really a great job up there and the show is brilliant Declan Conlon, dear Jesus, I would watch the man read the phone book. He is just such an amazing performer, and it's a great performance from Declan. Um, that show's finishing up this weekend. If you get a chance at all to pop up in the next couple of days, you know, it's only an hour and a half from Dublin. Get up there, catch this show. You will not be disappointed with that. Uh, again, as we travel south then, Tom Crean is back at The Everyman, which is just an amazing one-man show and a real lesson in proper old-school storytelling and something we took an awful lot of inspiration for when we were putting together Fight Night. Um, just that, that style of storytelling theatre. That If you get a chance to catch that, that is a, a phenomenal show. And the Garcin Lazar players are doing what they do best, a whole rake of Beckett plays that'll be on in the Opera House down in Cork uh, in the coming week. So that's us. That is episode 18 in the books. This machine keeps chugging along. We will be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. <laughs>